Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. Don't be afraid to experiment. A lot of these platforms that people are looking at that are getting your information out there are changing and the rules are constantly changing. So what worked a year ago might not work now or something that wasn't a great idea a year ago could be a, a very good idea now. So continuous experimenting or to the extent that you can will often be really useful, especially trying to figure out where your customers are and where they're going to interact with you. Welcome back. I hope your week's been just awesome so far. If you haven't listened in yet to my recent conversations with Wendy Manganaro, of Social Abundant Marketing and with Richard Medcalf of X Quadrant, then do go check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation. I'm really excited today to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest, Josh Green. Josh is the CEO for the Matha Group, a digital agency that solves marketing challenges for companies of all sizes. With over 20 years of experience creating and implementing digital strategies, Josh empowers top brands and individuals to shape their online presence to support their bottom line. He's a frequent speaker at conferences and industry events, including the Public Relations Society of America, PR Summit, and Channel Advisors Catalyst Conference. Before the Matha Group, Josh managed online and digital TV programs for industry leaders such as Discovery Channel and Time Warner Cable. In our conversation today, Josh talked to me about why a Wikipedia page can be an important element in your online presence. We talked about how you can contribute to topics in your field to build a Wikipedia presence, and we talked about keeping your Google My Business page up to date. Without further ado, then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Josh Green. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Vienna in Virginia, the United States, Josh Green, who's the CEO of the Matha Group a digital agency that solves marketing challenges for companies of all sizes. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Josh. It's a great privilege to have you here as my guest. Jordan, thanks for having me on. Now, you're also the author of Wikipedia for Business, uh, which uh, 
The subtitle is Supercharge Your Business and the newly released Wikipedia for Business 2021 also, which um, is subtitled The Rules and Latest Developments That Businesses and Communicators Need to Know to Succeed. So I'm really interested to dig into all things Wikipedia and how that comes into your marketing strategy overall. But before we start talking about all those things, what what's the impact you're making in the world today? Well, I think one of the things that we've found both with uh, Wikipedia and SEO is there's often a need for just objective, truthful information. Um, and one of the things that Wikipedia can be very good at is getting good information out there so people can make good uh, decisions. So I think that's one of the things we're particularly proud of is it done well. You can really make a difference to people if Wikipedia, which people rely on as a trusted resource, is correct. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I've always been curious about Wikipedia and how, you know, how you end up with a Wikipedia site and how you uh, make sure that the information there is truthful and accurate. So talk us through some of the steps that um, are involved in setting up a Wikipedia page or does somebody else do that? And, and then we'll talk about the information on it. Yeah, one of the key roles with Wikipedia is you're, you're not supposed to edit information about yourself. So usually if there's a need for a Wikipedia page on a particular person or company or organization, um, one of the many, many thousands of Wikipedia editors that is out there will take it upon themselves, write a draft of a Wikipedia page um, in the format that you see Wikipedia pages on, and then submit it through a process where it'll be reviewed by a Wikipedia editor with sort of senior permissions, who will then say yay, nay, or here are some changes that you might want to make for that page and then the page goes live and and gets approved so there are oftentimes i'll meet people who have a page who are unaware of it where someone had seen um, some of the newsworthy things they were doing and they had met wikipedia's criteria for notability hmm. so it's a panel it's a um, collection of independent editors that set up the pages yeah it's it's a one of the largest crowdsourced uh, experiments in the world, yeah. I would say. So um, with, with all the good and the bad that comes along with that. Hmm. And how do they go about researching the information and ensuring that it's accurate? Usually what happens is someone will publish a piece of information with, along with its source. The nice thing about just about all the content on Wikipedia is it can be tracked back to its original source and then the community, other editors can weigh in to correct, clarify, or, or challenge information. Um, and over time, over the last 20 years, there's a pretty intricate set of checks and balances um, that has been set up to make sure that things are, are sort of working correctly. You know, you can't go in and just delete whole chunks of text. You can't add them unless you have sources to demonstrate their accuracy. So sort of the having to check your work feature is, is um, a huge factor in Wikipedia's accuracy. Hmm. 
Okay, so how does having a Wikipedia page then play into your overall marketing tactics and strategy and uh, yeah, what's important about that? Yeah, um, well, Wikipedia information is, is syndicated all throughout the web. It's usually one of the top three results on any topic. It powers the top right um, Google search results in the knowledge panel. Um, so it, in, you know, it's maybe the third or fourth most visited site in the world. Um, what we've seen for a lot of people and companies is they may have their own page and or they may be providing a lot of thought leadership on some of the topic pages that are out there. So, for example, if you were in the field of business process automation, you could have a page of your own or you might not. You might not be big enough that that one would have been created, but you can contribute thought leadership and help build out Wikipedia and be cited, have all of the benefits of that when you're contributing to the topic areas that you're really an expert on. And that oftentimes is even more important than having your own page. So if someone's researching that topic, um, say business process automation, they can see that the, the work you've done on it, the, the papers you've written, um, and that can be uh, a, a very good way to improve sort of your visibility, your visible expertise on a, on a particular topic. So how would that play out? Would that be, for example, if you've published a, a blog post that's a, a contribution to that particular topic, it's referenced in, in a Wikipedia page? Yeah. If you, um, if you take a look at most Wikipedia pages, um, you can you can see all the sources down at the bottom and you'll get a sense for um, what are good sources, what are not as good sources. There's a whole um, uh, hundreds and hundreds of items long spreadsheet about what are good sources. So, yeah, if you if you've published a, um, information on a particular topic and it's verifiable and, and truthful, that'll usually be the type of information that Wikipedia is looking for as it's trying to organize all of the world's knowledge. Hmm. Okay, and, and how, ca how can we be proactive with uh, information like that that we've published or made available? How can we be proactive and kind of put our hand up and say, hey, Wikipedia, have a look at me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so usually um, the best thing to do is is there's what's called the talk page in the top left of every Wikipedia page. It's one of those five tabs across the top, um, and it's where people discuss additions um, to particular pages. And you can suggest changes to a page. You can suggest sources. So you could say essentially, hey, Wikipedia, here's some great information on process automation that would be uh, well suited to be in this particular paragraph or have a section devoted to it. Um, and then there are Wikipedia editors who monitor those pages that they happen to be interested in and will sort of evaluate that and potentially incorporate it into that page. And that's sort of um, also where sort of the debate goes, is this useful information? Is this the appropriate way to phrase it? Um, is the source good? So that that's one of the ways you can have that discussion to to sort of contribute uh, is looking at the talk pages on some of the Wikipedia pages. Okay, so that's so it's good to follow topics that 
are important to you and and contribute to the conversations there yeah exactly um thinking like perhaps one of your customers what would they be searching on for wikipedia and then see what's showing up in the results and if it's good information and if you're included if your competitors are included um it'll give you a sense of what you might want to do or where would be appropriate for you to be participating in wikipedia hmm. and if you do have a wikipedia page then that would be the place to contribute uh, suggested alterations or corrections on that talk page as well yes um so wikipedia is very open to contributions um as long as you're sort of highlighting whatever your biases might be so if you have a web page uh for you know josh green you wouldn't be able to or supposed to edit directly the best practice is to post on that talk page saying here's some information to update here's who i am and here's um how i'm involved in it can someone please evaluate this and make these changes hmm. so it's not as straightforward as your own own uh, website for example where you can just add or no, delete no, it, as as you it, it's very challenging and i i think that's one of the challenges for people when they uh are new to wikipedia there's an edit button on every page so it's oftentimes very tempting just to click edit and see what happens when you do that oftentimes you'll inadvertently uh break a rule by doing that and that that often is a, a less than ideal experience um, when you have people you don't know on the internet yelling at you about something that you really weren't intending to, hmm. to get into the middle of okay yeah it's fascinating i always um i always wondered what happened if you pressed the edit button on a wikipedia page but since i don't have my own i never went in and did I that i mean it, it if you're curious about editing it it's um you know it usually one of the nice things about a crowdsource encyclopedia is there are a ton of guides if you're interested in in doing that um which is oftentimes better than just hitting the button and seeing what happens but you know the nice thing is wikipedia has tried to make it much more accessible to edit like there's a visual editor so editing a page is a little bit like using a word processor it used to be that you were editing the equivalent of of some um just ugly html code which mm. was very discouraging for a lot of people who had great information but maybe weren't technically inclined mm. all right and and let's say there is a wikipedia page on on a business um how do they go about incorporating that into their overall marketing strategy I would say a lot of times it it sort of fits along with what they're doing with search engine optimization regardless of whether they're doing paid or organic um search or both that wikipedia page will show up very highly for that business um and often the the two things that we really recommend are making sure the first few sentences are really about what the business is and what its proposition is there oftentimes businesses where the first sentence of their page just talks about where they're geographically from and that mm -hmm. gets syndicated to 
their search result. It gets syndicated to audio search and YouTube description. So it's important to highlight who the business is in their first few sentences. And then the second thing is oftentimes Wikipedia pages get very outdated, um, especially when it's things like products or we work with a lot of B2B companies that people may not recreationally be updating. So it's important to keep an eye on the information that's out there to make sure that it's accurate, especially if it's something important that potential customers are, are going to be looking at. You know, the number of employees being two years out of date might not be that important, but there might be a fundamental shift in your business model uh, that you would want to make sure is reflected. Yeah, yeah. Or if you've, if that's right, if you've got a new product line, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And, and that again would be via that comments page so the, the business usually program. that's the best place to start um oftentimes especially in larger companies they'll have someone on their team who's familiar with wikipedia who may have contributed to wikipedia um who often you know is, is sort of the go-to resource when they have questions there you know other ways to update information but usually if you're just starting out that talk page is is the place to go hmm. All right. Well, um, let's talk in more general terms about some SEO information. And um, you talked about, you know, Wikipedia coming up in that right-hand channel of the Google search results. Now, if you don't have a Wikipedia page, what comes up there typically is the uh, Google My Business page. So how, how do you kind of balance effort between those two in the overall uh, marketing on on Google, and and some will have both, um, but I would say Google My Business is the one you need to be much more active in. There's ongoing reviews to respond to. There's hours of operation, which we've all seen change dramatically and and continue to change. There, there's a lot of moving pieces with Google My Business where you need to be updating it on a much more frequent basis. You can update pictures, you can do posts on it. Um, it's much more actively managed content. Um, you know, some businesses we know actually have both and by way of magnitude, really their Wikipedia page might need an update every month or two and they could be on Google My Business every day um, taking some sort of action. So. Um, one of them is definitely a, a much more active uh, management proposition. Hmm. And of course, you can edit a lot of the Google My Business information yourself as a business, right? Right. It, you have a certain amount of ownership versus Wikipedia is very opposed hmm. to the idea of ownership of, of a page. Hmm. So one of the things you mentioned there is about responding to reviews. So what, what's a good practice for the whole review management thing on, because that's all part of Google My Business. And uh, I, you know, this is one thing that I think is still a, a really underutilized tool. Yeah. And a lot of it depends on the personality of your organization. You know, there there's some regulated industries where the only thing they can say is, yes, thank you for a review, and we read them. 
but but usually acknowledging a review saying thank you for taking the time regardless of whether it's good or bad trying to avoid getting in active fights online is is always um you know a positive i think most um people reading reviews sort of have a sense for when people have just gotten irrational about stuff and usually if you're doing the reviews you just say let's let's take this offline we're not going to you know talk about private information um you know that that sort of thing so i would say you need to make sure it's something you can do regularly you need to know who's doing it you need to know what their parameters are like here's your guidelines if it's not the owner of the business responding um, and then the biggest thing we see people run into trouble with is is actually what happens when someone goes on vacation. Um, usually the person who's dealing with reviews has all of those things sort of under control. It's when you sub in someone who has no idea what all the rules are to try and do the reviews um, that things can go off the rails sometimes. Hmm. So it's really good to have a, a documented process and procedures for responding to reviews and dealing with any any negative reviews that might be there. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing that um, I would say often gets overlooked is is encouraging your uh, your good customers, your your references, the people who really like you to post. Hmm. Um, oftentimes, you know, people tend to focus on the negative reviews they're getting um, but sometimes you just need to nudge your your super consumers to have them uh, help you out. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I often get asked, you know, what, what can I do to remove a bad review? And <laughs> that's, uh, I guess, the, you know, the short answer to that is unless it's clearly malicious and false, um, you can't remove it. Um, there is a procedure for having those malicious ones removed um, that you can read about in the Google guidelines. But the best thing you can do is, is what you said, is encourage those people that are really happy with you that are your super customers to post reviews so that you've got a nice balance of maybe 99% positive reviews and then there's the odd person who's posting something negative and then responding to those in a professional manner, like you said. Yeah, there's always going to be a negative review somewhere, and sometimes people aren't even going to trust, you know, if you had 100 positive reviews, they're mm. going to assume you've done something to game the system. So the more you can, like you said, present the best side of the story, the better off you'll be. Mm. So what are some of the things that businesses can do to encourage customers to leave reviews and, and make it easy for them as well. Because one, one of the challenges I see is that the strongest motivation we have as humans to leave a review is when we're really angry and upset and we feel as though we're not being heard. We feel as though the business is not listening to us, so let's take this public because then other people will listen. You know, this is going on unconsciously, of course, and maybe if a lot of people listen, then perhaps the business will listen as well. Um, yet, if we're really happy, we kind of enjoy that feeling, but then not take the time to post a review. So what are some of the things that you can do? And also talk to us about 
um, the rules around that because buying reviews in terms of, hey, leave a review and you get a prize or something like that, I think is still against the guidelines. Yeah, I, I would say like out and out incentivizing people for reviews is generally against the guidelines. The challenge is everyone interprets those differently. Every platform has different rules. And to a large extent, it depends on where your business sort of falls in terms of self-promotion. Um, you know, obviously there's always egregious stuff where people are paying for Amazon reviews and the, the FTC gets involved or something like that. Um, but for the most part, what we've found is, is just flat out asking or reminding people um, will help. Um, and the other thing is if you can get people either to leave a review on the spot, which is tough, or to make a mental commitment to it, it vastly increases the uptake on that. So if you ask someone to leave a review, that boosts the odds considerably. And if you can get them to say, yes, I will leave a review by Friday, that increases your odds even more of getting a review. Um, and there are a variety of ways to do that. You know, there's there's in person, there's emails. It all depends on you know what scale you're doing this on, um, as well. But a lot of times, unfortunately, especially for small and medium sized business owners, they see the press about the one company that spent you know a hundred thousand dollars buying reviews for mm -hmm. their widgets on Amazon. And they assume they should never mention reviews to a customer again, when in reality, you know, the one that makes the paper is the most egregious, possibly criminal thing that happened. So everyone, you know, gets scared of, of just saying, hey, you know, can you leave a review, which is which is, uh, you know, sort of the nature of commerce. You know, can you tell a friend about us if you liked us? Hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I think the, I mean, the model to me that still in my mind is clearly the best one is is the way eBay does it. And, you know, the whole eBay business is, well, the review system is is a fundamental core part of their business, isn't it? So it's it's the reputation of the buyers and the reputation of the sellers both. And, and by keeping that really transparent and really um, clean and, and really genuine, authentic is is how it's valuable for eBay. And they send you follow-up emails. So whether you're, you've made a purchase or whether you've made a sale, they will follow up with you a couple of times saying, you know, reminder to leave a review. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the two-way nature of it is is huge. And you see that in Yelp. The people with you know, a hundred Yelp reviews are way less likely to write the random one-star review that, you know, is, is they may not have even visited the restaurant. It's mm. a lot easier when there's no two-way consequence, when you're the anonymous Yelper who's never written a review. Sure. There's no consequence to saying anything you, you want. So yeah, the more, the more there's some transparency or the, the two-way interaction, the, the more accurate, I think, the reviews you're going to get are. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a really good point because there's, there is still 
this idea also that if you get a negative review, it might be a competitor um, trying to hurt your business or it's just somebody that's um, had a bad day and yeah. it's not really the, the experience that was bad as such. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, I, I think, a lot of maybe fear-mongering where people are, are nervous about things they don't understand. And if you're, you know, running the local locksmith, the amount of time you've spent thinking about reviews prior to five years ago was probably zero. Hmm. And then, you know, you hear about the one example where something happened. And again, that that sort of influences you till the end of time. I mean, we've we've seen that with both Google My Business and Wikipedia, where it's like something bad happened three years ago. And it might be that that was just on one day with one thing, but people let that, you know, sort of metastasize into a, a universal truth for them when it's not really um, that at all. Hmm. Yeah, so it's uh, important then to you know, look at those two channels as really key parts of what makes up your SEO content and how you might get found on Google and, and really take an active role in making sure that they're up to date and um, being proactive in, in how you engage with customers to get more reviews. Yeah. What are some of the other things we can do on the Google My Business to keep it kind of fresh and um, uh, make it an important contributor to the SEO results? I think people overlook the ability to add sort of the posts or updates, um, which Google likes from a search perspective. So if you have announcements, the more you can update with sort of fresh content, that's hugely important in Google's algorithm. So I would I would encourage people, um, and this is sort of timeless advice, regardless of where, when you're listening to it, if there's an opportunity to add content into one of Google's tools, like Google My Business, they tend to prioritize that or give that more weight, especially when it's new. Mm -hmm. um, so if they if they add new features where you can add content, um, the sooner you jump on them, the better, because they always weight them more heavily in the beginning. And the nice thing about Google My Business is it's not like you're trying to learn how to blog. You can just enter in some general information that, that's changing, whether that's a sale or, you know, something new that's coming in in terms of products. And that tends to get treated well in the, um, in the Google algorithm. Hmm. Okay. So would you treat it like social media and, and post like content that goes back to say a blog post, for example, or a podcast? Yeah. Um, I would say yes, although it can be standalone, hmm. um, you know, bits of information. Um, I think it would, you know, it would work well with, hey, I was on this podcast, check it out. Hmm. It would also work well on, 
you know, hey, we're having a sale. If you come in today, you get 30% off X because um, it's it's really most of the time designed for physical businesses. So um, you could almost think of it as a mini social media post or a, a mi- not a mini social, a mini blog post hmm. or, a, you know, another place to have sort of a social media snippet. You're probably going to get more views on your you know, Google business update than you would on your, you know, Twitter up a single Twitter update, you know, obviously it it may vary depending on who you are and and what your followings are, but it is, it is, um, an important channel. Yeah. So that's, that's really good advice. And I think a lot of people overlook it or maybe aren't aware that you can post onto Google, my business. Yeah, I, I think oftentimes people sort of view the internet as fixed and unchanging and, <laughs> you know, we know it's anything but that. All right. Well, this has been great, Josh. I think it's a good point now, though, to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. It's designed to help our audience to gain some experience from your experience and maybe inspire them to go and do something awesome today as a result. So I've got five questions, same five questions I ask of every guest. So you're ready? Ready to go. What's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? I think finding the time to talk to your customers and really understand what they're trying to do. Um, We've certainly found that some of the offerings we've developed, um, you know, didn't necessarily line up with what people needed. And that really helped push us in, in some directions. So um, for us, it's it's been making sure to listen, um, which can be challenging if you're a company of introverts to actually have conversations sometimes. <laughs> yes, that's... Um... That's certainly a challenge and it's something you need to learn. But introverts make good listeners usually. Yes. So reaching the first step, reaching out to customers and checking in. And, and often that's, I find if, if I have an idea, um, like you said, you know, you have an idea and you think that's a great idea and then having that conversation with customers and then just listening because um, that, that's the hook then. And if customers say, no, that's a bad idea, um, that's not what we need, then just you can flow into, well, what is it that you need? All right, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? I think I would say, you know, having listened to the customers, I think it's giving uh, the people who work here the opportunity to create things and trying to avoid the uh sort of smaller company ceo thing of of (laughs) we need an x someone needs to build an x and making sure that you're giving people all of whom have a different background and a different viewpoint um the freedom to to innovate when they see an opportunity hmm so yeah, so taking a step back and not micromanaging everything. Yeah. Hmm. Which is a big danger in small companies, isn't it? Right, it really is. Hmm. All right, what's a favorite resource you use most often? 
you know it it's um i guess it's probably fairly vanilla but the entire google suite especially mm. google sheets has been really important just in terms of of note taking having common locations um you know just having shared documents for brainstorming is one of the more powerful things we have and it's not hugely technically complicated mm. but just having people being able to iterate in real time is is really important you know sort of on the flip side we use red booth a ton for sort of organizing the projects when they're you know at, at sort of that point when you need the the project flow chart and and um you know your order of operations for things um we found that to be really helpful it's sort of a reasonably powerful without being overkill uh platform for us yeah okay i i haven't looked at red booth for some time i did look at it in the early days um so interesting to check that one out again but yeah the the whole Google Suite. I mean, there's so much there, isn't there? And one of the ones that I find myself coming back to a lot is a really simple one is Keep. Google Keep is um, just, yeah. you know, um, instead of having lots of post-it notes lying around on my desk, although as I say yeah. that, I look down and I've got about five here, so I need to get that organized again. Right, right. Well, it helps you cut it down, yeah. yeah. All right. What's the best way to keep a client on track? Um, frequent communication and and usually if you can get out of your project management system into email or calendaring, that really helps for sort of blocking time for anyone who's involved in um, a project. And one of the things that we've really used a ton is is boomerang in terms of having emails come back or send out emails at specific times um you know google's sort of stolen a little bit of that functionality with their send later option hmm. um but in general the ability to um have emails or calendar invites show up at particular times or keep showing up until they're dealt with has been really powerful um, people may ignore the, the task management systems, but they don't tend to ignore their email box. Hmm. Yeah, Boomerang is is a really neat tool. Um, I I used it for a long time. I've got some other tools that do very similar things now, but the ability to clean something out of the inbox, so that doesn't need to happen now, but I need to be reminded in, in a week's time, for example, um, I find extremely useful okay what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves i think having a unique viewpoint and one that people can find um you know a lot of what i've seen be successful lately is people who are active on linkedin in a genuine way you know sharing content that's useful so if someone wants to say what is what is your going about they can sort of scroll back through that history and it tends to let people brand or differentiate themselves um so you know oftentimes you 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 want to own a phrase or you want to make sure people know of you when they think hey wikipedia let me talk to josh about that um so oftentimes just 
being helpful um, is is a huge part of it because there's so many people who are just trying to sell nonstop that if you can, you know, be helpful on a particular topic, people will tend to remember you. Mm, yeah, that's that's really great advice. And I heard somebody said to me recently, um, don't talk so much about how you can help people, just help them. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for getting us through the buzz, Josh. Um, now, where can people find out more about the work you do and information that you have available and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've, helped, uh, what you've shared with us today? Sure. Um, we're at uh, the mathergroupllc.com. We've got a lot of um, information, blog posts. We do regular webinars, and you can uh, use the Contact Us form. We're always happy to, to talk about uh, you know, any of the topics we talked about today. So yeah, the mathergroupllc.com. Okay. And we'll post that link in the show notes so people can go through and check it out. And um, you've got your webinars listed on that as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Great. All right. Do you have some parting advice for our listener today, Josh? Yeah, I would say don't be afraid to experiment. Um, a lot of these platforms that, that people are looking at that are getting your information out there are changing and the rules are constantly changing. So what worked a year ago might not work now or something that wasn't a great idea a year ago could be a, a very good idea now. Um, and so uh, continuous experimenting or to the extent that you can um, will often be really useful, especially trying to figure out um, where your customers are and where they're going to interact with you. You know, Instagram first started, it was really inexpensive to participate and get in front of a ton of people. Now that it's, you know, a more fully mature platform, you're, you're sort of, you know, paying the rates that you would pay elsewhere mm. to get a message out. So um, I would say being willing to experiment is is really just a, a key thing as you're building your business. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. And also, you do learn a lot, particularly about these platforms that are evolving. So if you're experimenting on there, you're learning a lot as they evolve their um, business model or the, the way they do things. All right. Finally, who else should I get on the show, Josh, and why? Um. I might suggest Christopher Lockhead. He wrote the book on uh, um, carving out a category for your business, um, just sort of owning a particular niche. And um, he writes a wonderful newsletter on, on category pirates. But if people are looking for information on differentiating themselves, um, you know, he has a, a book, a newsletter, a blog. Hmm. Um, and uh you know, it, it really is doing some um, great thinking on how you set yourself apart um, in your marketplace. Excellent. And do you know Christopher? I do. Okay. Well, I would we'll... be happy to make an intro afterwards if you'd like. Excellent. I would love that. And we'll reach out to him because it sounds like a fascinating topic to explore in some more depth. All right. Well, thanks so much 
for sharing your time and your insight so generously with us today, Josh. I've um, learned quite a bit about uh, Wikipedia in particular. I um, have been a consumer of content on Wikipedia, but never really thought that much about um, how it fits into a marketing program. And so, you know, that's opened my eyes quite a bit today. So thank you for that. And also for all the suggestions and ideas around Google My Business and, and the other things we've spoken about. All the best for the future and let's stay in touch. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on, Jurgen. I hope you enjoyed that insightful and really informative conversation with Josh and took something away from his episode. The idea that you can, even if you don't have a Wikipedia page, contribute to Wikipedia content really intrigued me. I'd love to know what you took away from Josh's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Josh Green. That is J-O-S-H-G-R-E-E-N-E. Or lowercase, or one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Josh Green. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Josh, as well as links to the Matha Group website, to Josh's social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode because it helps us make the podcast better for you, and we really want to know and find out what you like most about the podcast. So simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred review platform. And of course, you can follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. Josh suggested that we have a conversation with Christopher Lockheed from the category Pirates on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Christopher, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Josh Green. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including Tom Ruich, founder and president of Story Power Marketing, and best-selling author, entrepreneur, writer and keynote speaker, Kedma O. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.